I was, my life, my world was a little tippy. I was harried a little off balance and feeling inadequate. And then I invited my friends to come up here and play with me, to do interplay. Centers me. Earlier this week, my life was tippy, a little off balance. I was harried, feeling inadequate, unable to move forward. Running through the errands of my day and to get back to writing my sermon, and I was whizzing in and out of church, and I caught a glimpse of our labyrinth downstairs. Suddenly, I knew I had to walk it. Walking the labyrinth is, after all, a body-based spiritual practice, and that's what my sermon is supposed to be about. So I rushed into the social hall and looked at the clock. I didn't have time for this. I needed to get back to my computer. I mean, it takes me usually 20 minutes, to, and that's just to get to the center of the labyrinth and then waiting for inspiration, and then... (sighs) (sighs) Heather, the voice in my head says... Sometimes it sounds a little condescending. (laughs) You need to make at least use of at least one of the spiritual practices you're trying to write about. Duh. Okay. I rolled my eyes. I took a deep breath, and I charged in. I walked that labyrinth. I got to the center, and I looked at the clock. Under three minutes had passed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I took a big, exasperated breath. And the voice, the Australian voice that flew into my head said, Nasty things like greed. What was that? Nasty things like greed. In that split second, I knew I needed to throw my sermon away and start over with Phil Jones's words. He explained that the purpose of this didgeridoo is to uplift human consciousness above all the nasty things like greed and violence and aggression. And I want your stuff, so I'm going to send my folks over there to take the stuff and bring it back for the king, if you know what I'm saying. Ah, in that split second, I understood that all body-based spiritual practices interplay the labyrinth are tools for uplifting human consciousness above all the nasty things. Greed, fear, anger, violence, hatred, arrogance, pride, cruelty. Some call these things sin, and we all fall into their trap now and then. In fact, in that split second, in the labyrinth, in the center of the labyrinth, I realized I had been trying to write from a place of greed. I wanted to look good. I wanted to sound intellectual, be creative. I wanted you to see how wonderful interplay is because I love it so much. I had my agenda. And I was allowing myself to be paralyzed by a fear of inadequacy. And so in the three minutes that it took me to walk back out of the labyrinth, again, I had begun to rewrite the sermon out of a place of honesty and love and trust. 
So this is the power of body-based spiritual practices. I could spend two or three weeks struggling in my head for the perfect words and the perfect quotes and the perfect jokes, and, and then I can spend six minutes in the labyrinth and throw it all away. Trusting. So, the title of my sermon is an Step-by-Step an Embodied Spiritual Journey. So what is an embodied spiritual journey? According to Phil Jones, the idea is to get out of here and more into here. Let's think about that for a while. (laughs) (sighs) Yes, our denomination has been called a thinking denomination. Garrison Keillor, one of my favorite funny people, has said that the most moving part of our service is when we stand up all together and, in a single firm voice, recite the hypothesis. (laughs) We Unitarian Universalists do like to think about things. We like to have questions and create hypotheses. We like to collect evidence. And we also have an understanding that mind and body are one unit. Many of us long for opportunities to worship with our hearts and our bodies. Um, And my hypothesis is that we are already doing this. The Spirit in Practice curriculum, which Kelly described, uh, it's an adult education program uh, designed by our denomination. Um, The Spirit in Practice curriculum asserts this. Although we, as a denomination, know that the mind and body are one and to separate them would, be, would lead to a corruption of both, and I'm quoting here, the style of worship bequeathed to us from our Unitarian Universalist forebears is generally sedentary. At our Sunday services, we tend to sit in one place listening to readings and sermons and moving only when we stand to sing. In most of our congregations, we don't wave our arms or stomp our feet or even clap. We certainly don't dance in the aisles. End quote. So the goal of this chapter, this particular chapter that I'm talking about um, today, is uh, to have us come to understand that our spiritual journey does not have to be separate from our own physical experiences but it can be deeply rooted in them. And it doesn't have to mean waving your arms and stomping your feet or even dancing in the aisles, although I do like that, personally. The UUA curriculum says that something as normal as tying one's shoes or uh, walking to get the morning paper can be used as a tool for spiritual experience and growth. For me, body-based spiritual practices include almost anything that allows for the silencing of the voices in my head. You know, those voices that say, I'm not good enough, they won't like me, I should have done it this way. If there's some activity that allows a time uh, for my mind to be empty, then I can be open to receiving. Often a split second is all that is needed to create a shift. 
just like that split second in the center of the labyrinth, I was able to go from a place of fear to a place of trust, to go from greed to giving and to find balance. Like the man on the ladder climbing up Kate's chimney, or her brother doing the yoga tree pose. A split second of fear or distraction can throw us off balance, but a split second of trust and mindfulness can bring us right back, right back into balance. So I ask again, what is an embodied spiritual journey? The definition I've come up with with the help of Phil and Kate is this. An embodied spiritual journey involves choosing to use body-based activity, spiritual practices, to get out of here, more into here, to rise above the nasty things, and to find balance, to move forward step by step. The first step on this journey is to have a desire to rise above the nasty things, whatever nasty things are plaguing you at the moment. The second step is to choose an activity that will clear your mind of clutter. This could be walking the labyrinth or tying your shoes or nearly anything else. My personal favorites include interplay, which is improvisational dance and also storytelling and music making. Other favorites include dancing, drumming, chanting, writing, swimming, walking along the river, singing, playing the didgeridoo now, and even taking a shower or doing some ironing. Yes, ironing clothes is my spiritual practice. Maybe you prefer doing the dishes or vacuuming to clear the chatter in your mind, or going for a run or bike ride, playing with the dog or doing karate or combing your hair or canoeing or camping or ringing a bell and lighting a candle, or sitting with a cup of coffee, feeling the warmth of it in your hands, or taking the time to smell an orange before you eat it mindfully. I hope you're getting the idea. Have I proven my hypothesis that all of us already have an embodied spiritual practice in our daily lives, physical activities that we have found just to clear the chatter from our mind and to help us return to a place of balance? I, I, I hope it's also clear that if we, if we choose to, there are many more opportunities for us to create this deeper spiritual journey rooted in our physical activities. At First Universalist, our calendar is filled with body-based spiritual practice experiences. We have Tai Chi and yoga classes, a drumming circle, and open labyrinth times. There's a women's group that meets to chant and dance, among other things. There are opportunities to sing or play an instrument. There are, are occasional retreats and classes on various topics. And we do occasionally dance in the aisles. <sighs> but these activities alone may not deepen your spiritual journey. After choosing an activity to clear the clutter from your mind, the third step is to be open to receiving. Love, prepare me to be a sanctuary. 
Prepare me, open me. With you use, it's sometimes a little challenging to talk about what we might be receiving or who or what we're receiving it from. Another Garrison Keeler program had the Unitarian singing, Just a closer walk with whoever you are. <laughs> I love it when funny people hit close to the truth. <clears throat> Personally, I'm clear that the chatter in my, when the chatter in my head stops and I'm open, a shift can happen. I tend to think of this shift as God-inspired. Perhaps the message is coming from the universe or the Holy Spirit or the spirit of love or, or my wisest self or perhaps as happened in the center of the labyrinth that's coming from Phil Jones. Or whoever. Spiritual inspiration is everywhere. If we're open, if we're willing to allow love to prepare us to be a sanctuary. So on this embodied spiritual journey, we've chosen to rise above the nasty things. We've chosen activities to clear our minds. We've chosen to be open to receiving. And the fourth step is to take action. To take one more step. We will take one more step till there is peace for us and everyone. Take one more step. Step four, actually, I think is the easy part. If it's not easy to take action, then the nasty things are creeping in again and we can choose to start back over. That's step one. I want to close today. Whoops. Sorry. I want to close today with um, a story <clears throat> about a man. This is actually uh, a book written by one of the creators of Interplay. And... Um, so this man uses interplay in his life, and he actually used, in this story, several body-based spiritual practices to rise above the nasty things. His name's Chuck Selner. He's a 60-something, when he wrote this, a 60-something retired nonprofit executive, grandpa and minister living with AIDS. And he writes, <coughs> Sorry. He writes, five years ago, I was a 150-pound weakling, barely able to crawl out of bed or to walk my dog, Sonny. I wondered if I would hang around much longer. After my partner Jeffrey died, I purchased a smaller apartment and thought it would soon be my turn. Everyone knows about suffering to some degree, but coping with it is another matter. I remember my first AIDS-related hospital stay. I fully expected to die. Angry at having to quit work, I remember staring at the orange juice carton on my tray table. Alone in the enforced isolation of my room, I suddenly said out loud, I ordered apple juice! My arm moved, my patience and understanding broke with a splash all over the floor. Feeling embarrassed, I called the nursing station to have it cleaned up before someone could, would slip and fall. 
As the nurse quietly wiped the floor, I decided I needed to explain my frustration to her, and she encouraged me to also talk to my regular doctor. Her patient, under, her patient understanding reminded me that there is a place for a range of feelings. I now realize that my anger motivated me to listen to my body. So I'm going to pause in the story just a moment. And his anger, his nasty thing, reminded him, motivated him to listen to this. So he was on the embodied spiritual journey. My body felt exhausted. Returning home, I had, I had to have help walking sunny. I soon began to push myself so as not to have to ask for help. After the first few weeks, though, I learned that people feel good when invited to help out. About this time, my good friend Phil Porter called from California. He's the author of this book, I think. Um, so he called from California. He was coming to Chicago to lead an interplay workshop at the Cultural Center. I went to a workshop where I found myself partnered with a man named Lowell. He began to move with more energy than I could handle. <sighs> Growing tired, <sighs> I remembered Phil saying, to go your own pace. And I thought to myself, it's really amazing to move this much. Maybe God is pulling me through. Remembering my recent yoga class, I dropped into a child's pose with eyes closed to find a place of rest and seek inner stillness. Am I getting feedback here? No, it's okay. Um, <clears throat> so I dropped to a place of rest to, to seek inner stillness. A good spiritual practice, it is said. Suddenly, I felt myself being lifted by strong hands on my wrists. Lowell pulled me forward, up through his legs, and brought me to standing with arms, spread eagle. I felt in my whole body, God has pulled me through. There is wisdom in my body. Now when I dance to the Gloria Gaynor disco beat of I Will Survive, I mean it with my whole body. Although I still get easily winded from energetic dancing, I understand the need for complementary physical therapies, and I include, and I include interplay. Uh, also, I found a local HIV-AIDS community group that offers full-body massage, acupuncture, and chiropractic. When I was told my medications inflated my cholesterol readings, I began to work out at a gym. I started to sing with the community renewal chorus. These are all body-based spiritual practices, right? I began to volunteer in more places, and I helped push the United Church AIDS Network to hold the first United Church of Christ retreat for people with AIDS. Even as I celebrate the gift of life, I sometimes complain of fatigue or other ailments. One day I complained to my psychiatrist who treats me for AIDS-related depression. I told him, I don't have as much energy as I would like. The doctor responded, Well, you're not exactly a spring chicken. <laughs> His sly, reverse, and perverse psychology worked. That summer, I actually did a spring chicken dance. At a retreat, I moved into a bigger apartment. I started taking modern dance class. And now I have a one-man show called Dancing by Heart. 
Now, looking at the cup of life that is mine, I learn to look in the midst of challenges for potential of healing, grace, and even love. This is God's transformation. To dance by heart has given me the freedom to be in public with all of me. I can enjoy being me. A man, a minister, a gay man living with AIDS, recovering alcoholic, a father, a grandfather, and most of all, a simple human being. We're never too old to dance. End quote. I love that story. This journey can be a dance. So let it be a dance filled with grace and beauty and love. And whether you are sitting quietly in a pew or dancing in the aisles, whether you are at home or at work or at play, walking the labyrinth or mindfully eating an orange, go at your own pace. We are dancing together, step by step, through all our daily activities, choosing to rise above the nasty things, balanced and in motion, on a journey for peace for us and everyone. Let's take one more step. Let's rise in body or spirit and in a single firm voice state the hypothesis. (laughs) Let it be a dance, hymn number 311. 